and my love of theater, my love of the Renaissance and those classic tales, but not seeing a reflection of myself in those narratives. And so I started to, you know, be immersed in my own narratives, my own worlds of, say, Macbeth or Hamlet, but having an all-black cast and and even trans transpiring that to visual arts. And so it's all about the complexity of who you are as a human being. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Artists are regular people, if you ain't know. <laughs> we have our own life experiences, our own passions, traumas, loves, losses. And it's these range of emotions and experiences that make you who you are. Every artist brings their unique views into their work, and we love hearing about it. That's what we celebrate. Today, joining the Studio Noise fam, we got Simone Elizabeth Saunders, a textile artist, coming with her new solo show in New York City. New York City! <laughs> she done hit the big time on Earth and Unicorns, March 17th through May 13th at Claire Oliver Gallery. Simone gives us a look into her black experience in Canada and how she's using her textile work to connect with the global sisterhood of black women. We love it. Love to see it. She explains the process of tufting and working in textiles. And you know, now your boy, I don't know too much about that. Like this is a new thing, but I love seeing it. And you know, I love learning. By the time you leave this interview, you know all about punch needles and tufting guns, all that. <laughs> all that good stuff and of course your boy jb i gotta ask about the work i love the work that's why i do this podcast and so we get to know all about these kind of animal metaphors that she uses the art nouveau influences so much more we learn all about simone it's a great interview you're gonna love it i know you is it's studio noise bringing you the very best in black contemporary art the best i say <laughs> the best i say from artists curators collectors all of the melanated people doing big things in the art world, bringing you the culture that you love so much. Presented by Black Art in America, the place where you can buy and learn about art. The current exhibitions, Her Voice Sings, and If the Patchwork Could Talk run through the end of March. On March 30th, you got the brand new exhibition going up at the Black Art in America Gallery. It's Kindred, featuring Kevin Johnson and Akinola Taid. Kevin, known for his vibrant Colorful portraits and beautiful, beautiful work. Wonderful stuff. Big fan of Kevin's. And Akinola, who I'm just finding out about, but he makes fantastic work. He's exploring the African experience and identity. It's going to be a fantastic show. It's a must see. You got to put it on your schedule. Make time to come back and see this brand new work. Fabulous stuff going on at the Black Art America Gallery. That's 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. Get more info at blackartamerica.com. After the break. We got an, another amazing black woman artist coming at you. You know, we love our sisters right here on The Noise. It's Simone Elizabeth Saunders right here on The Noise, textiles and more. All of that good stuff is The Noise, baby. Yes. This is Kenetra Fletcher, Associate Curator of African-American and Afro-Diasporic Art at the National Gallery of Art, and you are listening to Studio North. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber, Studio Noise, the voice of Black Art, coming to you live from the Black Art America Gallery. Uh, here, surrounded by this brand new show they got up featuring all women artists, a lot of them doing textiles, a lot of textiles happening out in the world. I keep seeing it more and more. So who better to take us on this journey to learn more about it? Then I guess today, Miss Simone Elizabeth Saunders right here on the podcast. How you doing? I'm so good. I'm stoked to be here. Thank you so much and take you into the world of, of textiles, of tufting, of punch needle. Let's do it. 
Oh man, look at all these all these buzzwords. We don't know nothing about it yet. <laughs> you about to take us on the journey. I love it, Joe. So you can check out Simone, Simone, Elizabeth Saunders.com for to see all her stuff. It's the same. Your Instagram is the same, right? Simone Elizabeth Textiles is my Instagram. Oh, there we go. Simone Elizabeth Textiles. Make sure you know. So we're talking to her, coming to you. Uh, the Claire Oliver Gallery. She having her debut solo exhibition, Unearthing Unicorns, from March 17th to May 13th, featuring some new large-scale textiles that she's been working on. And it sounds so exciting. Is this your first solo show in New York? Hi, how you feeling? Is how you feeling about that? You know what? I'm so jazzed. It, it feels surreal. Like, I've been fortunate enough that I've had a few solo exhibitions here in Canada, but to move forward as an international artist, to have a solo show in Harlem, in the heart of it all, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I'm, yeah, I cannot wait. That's what's up. Yeah. And so you are international. That's right. Because you were in Canada. How did I forget that? <laughs> so, you, yes, international <laughs> artist. Because you also, uh, I saw you did a show in North Carolina at Mint, Mint, Mint Museum. Mint right? Museum. Yeah, yes, I have a work up there right now as we speak. That work is up for several years, and uh, it's yeah. I I hope to make it down because you lived there, correct? Uh, yeah, I used to live there. I just came down. I did a TED talk there at Wake Forest, uh, which is not too far away from the Mint Museum too. And so yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about like being at this point in your career, like crossing over that little boundary to get international to start doing so shows solo exhibitions like how how long has it been for you like on this journey to get to you this thing yes this journey has happened so fast for me within this textile world i just graduated in 2020 i graduated um my second round of university and i studied at the university alberta of the arts here and uh, as soon as i graduated you know, I was exploring tufting. It was something I taught myself within my program. And I graduated right during the pandemic, the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I was exploring portraiture and really highlighting narratives revolving around the Black uh, Lives Matter movement. And so one of my pieces went viral. And from there, um, like Instagram reposted it. And I got connected with Claire Oliver Gallery. And so from there, it's been a whirlwind. Like it's happened so fast and I'm so blessed and so grateful. And I have not stopped. Like the inspiration to look online, to be reading literature, to be diving into my history, into black history, like the inspiration is endless. So I'm just, I'm just popping off. I'm just starting and I have a lot to say. So you mentioned Tufton. Explain to us what Tufton is um, before we get into all of that. I, I think I got an idea because I remember seeing like people, you in a video using the big wall of fabric and you like poking needles into it and something like that. So, well, That's yeah, right. Tell us about it. Yeah. So the frame or the loom that I use, it stands upright against the wall and you stretch the cloth across some carpet tacking that keeps it tight like a canvas. And the tool itself, the tufting gun is a mechanized, it's an electric tool. It's the, the electric version of the punch needle. So the punch needle is a singular tool. You can, I can use it by hand and I use that dominantly as well. Um, it's like the slow and steady movement to the tufting gun. But I describe it as, you know, painting with thread. It's like the tufting machine is like a, it's a handheld sewing machine in a way. And so I'm able to use a myriad of colors um, to create portraiture. And I, I use all the colors I can to create these colorful, complex, rich portraiture of, of predominantly black women. And um, they're large scale for the most part. My frame is 70 inches by 70 inches. And so, you know, I put a lot of effort. These pieces take me several months from start to finish. Wow. It takes you that long? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Labor of love. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, at least you got the Tufton gun, so you ain't messing your wrist all up. So, so you won't be able to write, write your name when you get old. 
<laughs> you know what? I, I won't. I am getting some pain in my shoulders. So between my wrist and my shoulder, I'm gonna uh -oh. have to take myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. And so, what got you? What got you into tap then? Yeah. So to take it back. To take it back about a decade, I was in the theater world. That was my first career. And I was really invested in producing and acting in, in theater plays. And I trained doing classical theater. And so this brought me to Toronto from Calgary, where I am currently. And uh, I really explored in the theater world. And from acting, I started to do set design. From set design, I just loved the autonomy. I loved the independence of working with the script and, and combining that with color and really marrying those narratives. And so that really got me thinking, like I love the visual arts and I really wanted to uh, touch back into that. So that brought me back to Calgary after eight years of being in Toronto. And um, that's where I went to the University um, of the Arts here and I went in the fiber department department, and my goal was to do interior design actually. And I really mm, got invested mm -hmm. in the fiber department there. And uh, the loom room was beautiful. So many different looms to explore. And the tufting gun was honestly just fell upon me. It wasn't offered at my university. It's something I saw online and it was that perfect union for me of drawing but yet the tactility of the threads and weaving into the fabric. And so I knew it was for me and I taught myself one summer and I just, I have not looked back. Like it really, yeah, we're two peas in a pod. I just love it. I, I can't stop. <laughs> so you got one of them custom uh, autographed uh, tufting guns <laughs> with, your, with the pearl <laughs> handle with your name on it. That's right. <laughs> one day. <laughs> That's cool. I love to see people like uh, play with and experiment and kind of introduce like new mediums uh, to people because, uh, you know, not many people know about like this whole process and especially like operating on the loom. Like, you know, we see a lot of, uh, you know, what's his name? Basil Kincaid, like that's out doing um, big quilts and stuff like that. We see like a lot of different artists like now coming into the textiles is coming more into the forefront. I remember a conversation back in grad school when uh, there was a woman that did uh, textiles, but she didn't want to be known as a textile artist because people saw it as some kind of a lesser form. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think we're starting to see people um, make big statements using Absolutely. the medium. And so I think it's like changing how people perceive it. Do you feel that that change yes. happening? Yes, immensely. And to be a part of that change is such an honor. You know, I think that textiles for the longest time have just been rooted in domesticity and this notion mm -hmm. of quote unquote craft. And so for that mm -hmm. now to be breaking the barrier and to be, you know, going into this fine art world, to be rubbing elbows with painting and sculpture and to be seen as this elevated fine art um, is, is really something that is, is incredible, especially given the history of textiles. Absolutely. And then you show up with your, uh, 72 by 72, uh, black woman riding a unicorn and, you know, you set the whole thing off. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how it go. I, I want to know, I want to know a lot. I want to know about this show. I want to know about unearthing unicorns and I want to know why unicorns. Where did this come from? Okay, okay, let me dive into this. So for me, you know, going into art school and even further back, having studied classical training in, actor, in, in acting, it was very much invested in these, you know, colonial teachings. And so think about the Renaissance and Shakespeare and Moliere and all these classics and, and even studying the arts. Mm -hmm. Um it was very whitewashed. And so for me, I'm investigating these historical eras and subjecting the black body within it because I want to see a reflection of myself. I want to see a contemporary lens that really honors black narratives and black joy and black strength. But for something that I'm really taken with, which is the Renaissance. 
And so the unicorn tapestries are very historical and, and quite renowned set of tapestries. They're predominantly four tapestries and there's an additional six, um, but they're held at the Met right now in New York, mm. at the Cloisters. And I was lucky enough to see them last year. And they are these in person. In person, yep. I took a special trip yep. down just to see the unicorns. And so, you know, when I saw these, and the unicorn itself is this majestic and just this dazzling creature. And within the Renaissance, it was a creature that still these people at the time believed to, be, to exist. They believed it to be true. And so the tale of it is really tied with the allegory of Christ and the hunt of the unicorn. You know, it's a beautiful depiction, but it's also very grotesque. And it is of the capture and killing of the unicorn. And it's about, you know, dozens of men and hounds uh, chasing the unicorn through beautiful flora and see different fauna within the, the depictions in the tapestries. And for me, I'm like, you know what? This unicorn, to me, it represents purity and what it is to be human. And I'm looking within Black history and and wanting to elevate that and, and uplift narratives and, and show so much joy. And to me, that unicorn is the epitome of love and joy. And I wanted to recreate those tapestries and, and bring my own history. And, and um, I have a heroine and her name is Virtue, spelled V-E-R-C-H-U, which is the phonetic spelling of virtue, like to be virtuous. Mm -hmm. And so she mm -hmm. comes from the motherlands, from Africa, and she comes to rescue the unicorn. And so this is where my tale starts, is my heroine virtue coming to rescue, rescue the unicorn and, and lead it to redemption and, and to freedom. Yeah, and I, I really love the images that I've seen so far of the show. I can't wait for to see more of it. I'd really like to know how you put these together, because you look at them, you look at one like Release in Darkness. Um, which is uh, the black woman and the unicorn and they're in a, like a stable and it's, you have like fauna and trees and like the sky, like all the layers inside of there. Like, how are you putting these together and how much of this is planned and how how much freedom do you get by using the tuft and gun and all this, all this other stuff? I mean, for me, I feel most free when I'm using the tuft and gun and there is a lot of planning and research that goes ahead of these works. And especially for this series, um, there was a ton of research because I tie in a lot of the pieces that I create. Um, I look at the florals that were used in the, in the historical tapestries because a lot of them are rooted in, in symbolism and, um, you know, different um, preconceived notions that these people use these floral, these florals for certain remedies and suspicions. And so I take a lot of that and put it into these current tapestries, like the one you're speaking to, the release in darkness. She is releasing the unicorn from what is called the Hortus Conclucus, which is the sacred garden, and that belonged to the Virgin Mary. And so there's mm. a lot of white and red roses, which are also associated to the Virgin. And um, the unicorn being the purest and the most chaste is tied to the pomegranate tree, which is a symbol of fertility. So there's a lot of hidden symbol symbology mm -hmm. within it um, that is tied to the Renaissance. And so for me, I mean, I do do a lot of planning ahead of time, but I will say there's a lot of freedom when I am creating because the color palettes change. Um, some of the patterns within, like the clothing that she's wearing, um, all mm -hmm. of this can happen uh, throughout my months of creating it. So it's like this perfect balance of, yeah, I, I'm, I plan a lot, but then I also leave a lot of room for play while I am creating. That's good. Inside of that, when you use the Tuffin gun, is that considered finished or do you go back in by hand and add certain things? Uh, with the tufting gun, 
I use both the toughening gun and the punch needle. So, I mean, it is essentially, it's like, it's like filling in the lines or filling in the coloring book because I do draw the work on the canvas ahead of time. Um, I won't mm -hmm. necessarily draw the little nuanced patterns, but I draw the outlines of the figures and the unicorn and the large pomegranate tree, etc. Um, so I use the tufting gun in tandem with the punch needle. It really depends on the day. It depends on the mood I'm in. It depends on how slow, how fast I want to go. Um, so I, I say I would equally use both tools. Okay. And so this mean you also like turn your guest bedroom into a yarn storage. Like it's got to <laughs> have like a ton of yarn and like a ton of different colors. Like you've got to like have like boxes and boxes of this stuff sitting around. Like it's, it's a man, it's 72 by six. That's six foot by six foot is a I, massive area to fill with yarn. <laughs> it's gotta no be so. Yeah, that's no joke. Like my basement, I have a huge shelf that is packed with yarn. And of course I'm a very detailed person, so it has to be color coordinated. And so when I go down there, <laughs> I know what colors I have. Like I will go to the store and I will be looking at all the different blues and pinks and I will know which blue stands out that I do not have or that I'm running <laughs> low on. And so my obsession with color is real. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's no joke to me. I love color. I love the vibrancy that it can exude within the pieces. Mm -hmm. So when you see, uh, particularly this series, each four works that I created is an, is an association with the time of day. So it starts at night, then we go to dawn, then we go to day, and then we go to, to dusk. And so that, to me, uh, initially gives a certain connotation to color and what that exudes, you know. Um, dawn, to me, is a lot of oranges, and um, that is when the unicorn and virtue are, you know, they're breaking away, they're making a run for it. And so the sky is fiery with reds and oranges and vibrant mm -hmm. yellows and so and it has, has a very nice pattern in it worked into the sky too in that piece i think the piece it, you're talking about is breaking away at dawn break away right. at dawn i'm sorry yes yes and so color speaks you know and that that is a big part of my voice is to relay that to the viewers so when they stand in front of the work that emotion that i'm trying to exude through the color through the pattern through the movements and eye contacts, uh, the gaze from from the piece, um, I want that all to speak to the viewer. So every mm -hmm. little detail is is thought about on my part. Of course, it's fantastic work. You can tell like the craftsmanship just by like looking at the pictures. Uh, it's something about the texture of it that is very interesting. Like it's not like flat. It's real. It has that yarn kind of fuzziness. Uh, to it and then I saw like in one of your videos you're going along with a little pair of scissors and cutting like stuff what are you cutting so the there are two types of uh, tufting tools there is the the loop pile and then there's the cut pile so the I work with loop pile so what that means is that it's one continuous piece of thread that is being woven mm. in and out of the fabric whereas the cut pile gun literally every time it pushes the thread through it will cut it and so hmm. that requires a lot of shaping and a lot and and allows for a lot of carving afterward um, but i love the loop pile it's just something that it, it's aesthetically pleasing for me and the texture as well from the front you can see the little nodules of yarn and how they nest together so when i'm cutting when you see the videos of me cutting um in the back, like I work backwards. So when I when I draw my piece, I have to think of it as being mirrored. Um, and mm -hmm. so I'm cutting all the loose threads and I'm just keeping them tight to the canvas. Um, and it allows for me to do that because, for example, if I did a string of color, I could pull it out, uh, but it would be like a line that comes out. And so if I cut it close, then it's it's secure. And so another part of, of the work that you're showing is the four queens. Tell me about that. Ah, the four queens. You know, these queens are so dear to my heart. And um, I made them, again, 
in the height of the Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement, and they're reminiscent of the era Art Nouveau, uh, which was mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful era that happened at the turn of the twentieth century between eighteen ninety and nineteen ten, and um, you know artists like uh, Alphonse Mucha, Gustav Klimt, Toulouse Lautrec, and again when I was in art school, I was really captivated, particularly by Alphonse Mucha's work and the way that he portrayed these female figures that were really alluring with their gaze and mysterious and they had a sensuality to them. And yet again, it was exclusively white women being portrayed. And so for me, I took that and adopted my own style called Black Nouveau. And so this particular series is based off one of Alphonse Mucha's series, Precious Gemstones. And so I took it and I put within these beautiful black women. um, And often in Art Nouveau, it was related to advertising. So these women were shown with fine wines and liqueurs and boxes of cigars. And so it was really Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, this notion of of getting the word out. And so I took the word of black love, black magic, black power, and black dreams. And I created these almost tarot card-like panels with these women and those statements or those mantras put in front of these portraits that were really, you know, amplifying black empowerment at the time and and black lives being necessary so it's a very seminal body of work for me and and i'm very grateful to have those works in conjunction with the unicorn tapestries like they're gonna speak to each other in that room and i can't wait to see them up all eight of those works together yeah they sound they look fantastic i really love the the queen of diamonds uh that's a very powerful piece tell me a little bit about that one because if uh, people that don't know or really like have never seen the nouveau first you got to look up alphonse mocha if you don't know like that is <laughs> that's one of those artists that everybody kind of knows uh, yeah. but when you look it up this is these really like ornate movements like some stuff is really organic it's flowers the designs even the type has like flourishes and all kinds of things inside of it and so you adapted that style, but you applied like black imagery. Tell me about it a little bit. That's right. So the Queen of Diamonds in particular is uh, one of the panels, one of the first panels that I did of the four that says in big, bold writing at the bottom, black power. And I wanted to associate that with diamonds, thinking about the strengths of diamonds, the resiliency, and just how timeless that is. And to me, that that you know, that mantra of black power is also timeless and continuous. And so I have a woman beautiful with this satiny blue gown and she's leaning on the head of a cobra and the cobra's um, sides are open and within it are the, the diamonds crested within the cobra itself. And, um, Behind her, you'll see those, you know, the classic cyclical pattern that is of Art Nouveau, very ornate, very, you know, colorful, draws you in. And I used a lot of spirals back there. So it's almost hypnotic. It's like Mm -hmm. the the cobra and the woman are luring you in. Um, They have a story to tell. And so, yeah, that piece really speaks to me. And, uh, it really starts the journey of the four queens. You know, when I when I mount the four works together, Black Power, this Queen of Diamonds, is always the first one on the left because, you know, traditionally our eyes start from the left and, and move to the right. And so she starts it off. She's the fire. Ah, I love it. I love it. How big are those? So these ones are approximately 65 inches in length 
and the width of them are like about 32 inches wide. Okay. Yeah. That's a very good size. Yeah. Uh, tell me, when you, when you present these, are you mounting them or are they just framed like as is? No, you know what? They're they're framed as is. I just I put wooden dowels at the back and they hang nicely. Mm. Um I find framing a textile like I don't you know, people want to touch them. People just every time I mount these, you I have to have signs that say do not touch the textile because people <laughs> just want to touch it. Like I use yeah. velvet threads, I use metallic threads so they have a sparkle to them as well. And um, they're irresistible, like you want to touch them. And so to have them hanging independently of any frame on the wall, um, they're, they're strong enough for that. And it's, you know, it's really important to me when I do hang, hang these works in museums and professional institutions and galleries, um, my one request is that they, the eye, um, the eye level of the queen or of the ancestor that I created has to be higher than when the viewer is looking at them. So essentially, mm-hmm. when the viewer approaches, I want them looking up at these works because we're honoring black women. And to me, that is the epitome of respect is that there's just that slight gaze upward into these works. Yeah. 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 That, that acknowledgement of power. I love it. On March 11th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m., it's because of them I am a tribute to my ancestors, love, life, and politics, as Black Art in America welcomes storyteller Mondo Raquel Webb for a special poetry performance during Women's History Month. It goes along with the two shows that are up right now on view at the Baya Gallery, Her Voice Sings, and If Only the Patchwork Could Talk, Women's History Month exhibitions at the gallery at 1802 Connolly Drive. It'll be 45 minutes of poetry and performance and a 45-minute screening zoo. A short film about a day in the life of an African girl on display for the first time in a human zoo. It's a powerful film. Make sure you come and check it out. That's 1802 Connolly Drive, the Bayek Gallery. Check out more at blackartamerica.com. This is T.K. Smith. I'm a writer, a curator, and a cultural historian, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, talk about blackness in in very strong ways. Like, how is kind of your experience of blackness in Canada? Because, you know, I'm not sure people have discussed that as much. Yeah. I mean, that is is definitely something that is being unveiled here and has been unveiled because there is that same dark history here and those prejudices here. And, you know, for me personally, as a biracial black woman, um, I have the privilege to not not always experience the same amount of racism as even my twin brother, who is a lot darker skinned than me experiences but I see it and within my friend groups we experience it and a lot has to change and for me even even having the privilege of being at Contemporary Calgary here or being shown at the Textile Museum of Canada you know when we opened my solo show here at Contemporary Calgary they were amazed how the black community came and supported they were excited really (laughs) oh my gosh to see you know to to see work that reflects them reflects our world here um yeah their attendance at the museum just skyrocketed and so the community in canada the black community wants to see representation and it's it is happening but it starts from leadership down um, to have leaders in these museums and institutions be black and brown people is really important. So I feel like the struggles, the strives, the, you know, the feats that we want here are not entirely different than the States. We're just more polite about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
very polite. <laughs> okay, I take that back. Not always. We have we have some fire here. We have some fire. And so, was there any like particular instance that you feel like really honed you into be connected to your blackness and speak about it in your artwork, or was that just something that you always like had in mind? Always was encouraged by maybe your family or your your mother or your brothers or friend groups and that type of thing. Yeah, you know, growing up, my father, um, being Jamaican, like we lived in a very vibrant household that really, you know, there was always reggae music playing, you know, Rastas coming over. We always, you know, had Jamaican food. And so I was really in that culture. And then my father passed away when I was quite young. I just graduated high school. And so a big part of that was in honor of him. And, um, again, being an actor at that early age, I wanted to see a reflection of my blackness on stage. And so I started with, uh, four other women here, the first Afrocentric theater company in Western Canada. And so that really was the impetus, which carried me forward into my visual arts of seeing that reflection of myself in the visual arts as well, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think it's so important. And so it is, it's me trying to connect to the wider diaspora that is here, that is global, like this sisterhood that is here. And um, that that is something that I will, will always do. You know, there's, there's so much beauty and and joy and, and vibrancy that, that needs to be told and shared. And, and I, I have my own experiences and my own voice. So it's a privilege. Absolutely. It's always necessary. Like I teach at Georgia state and um, I'm always trying to get my students to know that like whatever is important to you is important in your art. You know, like as much as we like hold the tools, I mean, you're using tough and yarn, I'm using, you know, wood cuts and, and paper, but you know, we hold the tools. So the art is ultimately about us. So yes. whatever you really want to express, like put it in there. And if you speak genuinely, that's the thing that imbuing your mark making with humanity uh, is what really starts to connect you with other people. It really starts to make your art resonate in a way that just being pretty is not enough, you know? Yes. You know what? That, that hit a chord with me because it's so true. You know, I have young artists that come up to me and they're like, how do you get started? How do you know when you're on the right track? And all I can say is when I started on this journey, you know, I was looking at what I, like you said, that my own voice, what I loved, what I wanted to see, and my love of theater, my love of the Renaissance and those classic tales, but not seeing a reflection of myself in those narratives. And so I started to, you know, be immersed in my own narratives, my own worlds of, you say, Macbeth or Hamlet, but having an all black cast and, and even trans transpiring that to visual arts. And so it's all about the complexity of who you are as a human being, what you're interested mm-hmm. in, what you want to bring to your art. And like you said, that will bring your own unique voice. Absolutely. And so you've been doing uh, a lot of work. And as I look through your website, it was a few pieces that like really stood out to me. So I'm going to kind of point those out and you walk yeah. through them with me a little bit. Uh, let's talk about piece uh, synchronicity, a really bold piece. Um, what is what is does the letters in the back say sync? Is that what it is? It says safe. Safe. OK, there yeah. we go. Safe. You know, this piece is rooted in a woman's body, a woman's right to choose. And this was, you know, this was all around that legislation uh, to lift abortion rights. And, you know, although being a Canadian, I'm, I'm safe here, uh, we f- feel, you know, the repercussions. Um, we band together in honor of women having the right to choose on behalf of their own bodies. And so this piece to me was the impetus of that. So you have a big, bold, um, colorful, safe behind, but wrapped with uh, these beautiful green leaves, vines that are cascading down and covering the word safe. 
so you can see it popping through and the text itself is almost like mermaid scales that fade from pink to orange to reds so there's a softness there that I was trying to portray a softness and a vulnerability in feeling safe and in front of that there's a woman kneeling with one of her arms upstretched uh, in front of the word S because behind the word S is a deer that is looking forward with a bit of fear in its eye. Its ears are very alert and aware. And then behind, tucked away, behind the E is a baby fawn that is nested. Mm. So you can tell, you know, Mama Deer is protecting her, her fawn and being hesitant. And so, yeah, this to me is a reflection of vulnerability at its most high and and um, a woman's autonomy over her own body is just it's just instrumental it's just who we should be as, as human beings and so that is the epitome of this piece and then there's um, the colors and the little patterns behind it are um, reminiscent of Klimt uh, Gustav Klimt, who again is from the Art Nouveau era, so bringing that my style of Black Nouveau into this as well. Um, yeah, this piece is is a labor of love, and on the woman because she does have a lot of markings on her. The way that I uh, draw my ancestors, which have a lot of contour lines, and then the black sparkly thread within it that you can't quite see from the picture which is why when you see my works mm -hmm. in person, they have that sparkle that the photos can never yeah. quite transpire. And yeah. um, on yeah. her uterus, you can see there's like three swirl patterns that are joined together, which is the symbol of fertility. I really like that. I, really, I love uh, how many layers that you put into your work. And it's not going to be the first one we, time we talk about uh, uh, flora and fauna in your work, like both no. of them. Like there's more an animal choices we're going to get to uh, in a little bit, too. Um, but it's so much layering like inside of it. And I'm I, I'm amazed, but I shouldn't be. But I haven't seen people work with textiles as much. But I'm amazed by how much uh, depth you can get inside of it. Just using like the color of the yarn and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so much can be told just from that. And so. It's really interesting for me to put all that research and, and, you know, the symbology of pattern and color and even the subjects that I put within it. And then to hear feedback from viewers who have their own experience from it, because generally when a piece is mounted in a gallery, um, there usually isn't a description of what the whole context of the work is. And so it is really interesting at times to get feedback. I'm sure it is like mm -hmm. man, if you spend so much time with these processes and, and getting so in debt with them, like you said, it takes you months to finish them. Um, how do you feel when you do reach the end? I've always been fascinated by this. I tell my, I try to tell my students how, how empty I feel <laughs> like when I finish a show, like, because it's like you, you obsess over it. You think about it like every day, like you go to sleep, you wake up, like it's there with you the whole time. And then when it's gone, it's like, man, so what happened? Like, something happened to me. Like, what's the feeling that you get, like, on working on these pieces? You know what? I laugh because, in a way, it's like Jekyll and Hyde for me because I I am in just such grips with the work. And, and so it's so personable and, and such a vulnerable experience. And it's months of making. And then when I do have, when I am done and I say send it to a show or send it to New York uh, to Claire Oliver Gallery, um, I cry. My fiance is my rock because there are times when I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. And it's really, it's really emotional um, because we have this story together and, and they're essentially a part of me. They're a part of my heart, my soul. And like my studio practice is very spiritual for me. You know, I, I light incense. I light candles to honor my ancestors, to to invite them to, to filter through me, through my hands, through my art. And so they really are, they're extensions of me. And um, yeah, I mean, I can only just hope 
the legacy that they're going to have, each of these pieces, the journeys that they're going to have on their own, um, that to me is, is what keeps me going because sometimes to lose them is like, <laughs> it could be devastating. You <laughs> <laughs> start hearing boys, the men in the back. We, 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 it's time to let them go. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> no, but I, I like that. And I find that like most artists that, that do have that kind of personal connection with their work end up making more powerful work. Like just because you can kind of feel the intention behind like some of the stuff you do, like it informs your decisions. Like, you know, if you didn't care about it so much, you wouldn't labor over it or care to put like that little bit of metallic thread in it uh, where it, it may not be necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like the piece might be finished without it, but you know that it, it deserves to have like this little bit of flair to it, this little sparkle, this little thing. Um, that extra level of love to it um, makes the piece special. So I like to hear that you put that into your work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a love that won't go away. You know, even if the next piece I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try not to be so attached. And it just, it's not who I am. I'm a, a sensitive person and I'm sensitive to my content and to the context of the work. And, um, yeah, it's it's a source of pride as well, right? Like you you put so much work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I tell them it's, it's, it's how I describe myself. <laughs> like you know, I'm sure like sure they're the same. Like somebody's like, hey, describe yourself. Well, I'm an artist. Like you know, like I start right there, and like everything else kind of flows from that. That's right. I'm, That's I'm gonna, gonna jump. To, I'm jumping to another piece, uh, the one called Worthy, and we talk about animals. This one has the leopard in it, and so I feel like something is happening with all these like animal representations. Tell me about this one. That's right. So worthy itself is, uh, you can see the Egyptian goddess here, Nefertiti, my version of Nefertiti, this beautiful black woman side portraiture. And she has that classic tall hat of Nefertiti, um, in Royal blue and gold and on the hat itself in jewel tones, um, literally uh, jewels I tried to depict coming out of the hat. Uh, It spells worthy over and over again. And uh, in front of her and behind her are cradled um, two baby kits, leopards. And, you know, for me, leopards really are a talisman that keep popping up in my work. I think that's something that's deeply personal and my own love for for the animal. But when I think of big cats and again that mysteriousness that independence that they have the allure they have a sensuality to them and to me that that is synced with womanhood and femininity and um, I will often when I'm creating my ancestors or one of my goddesses I will team them with an animal that is powerful. Like we were talking before about the black power piece with the cobra. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are cyclical. I mean, we go further into the universe, into our world, into a woman's cycle, into how we are with nature. And so for me to team uh, one of my goddesses with an animal is there's power in that. And, And I just wanted to show this historical goddess and her relationship to these these creatures that are ultimately deadly and i mean that's how i think of nefertiti because she was a force and a power Um, and then behind her you have the really colorful uh, lotus flowers which are you know their token uh, symbology for egyptology and I, I think about the erasure of blackness in Egyptology. And so I do often have a lot of symbols uh, that resurge, like the eye of Ra um, or lotus flowers mm. or, or different symbols that show up in my work often from that, from that era. Yes, yeah, more strong pieces. Like these, these are really fantastic. Um, Thank you. We'll talk about one more. Rise up, encompass the galaxy. Tell me about this one. Yes. One of my very, favorite. Very dynamic composition on this one. Thank you. Um, you know, this one for me, I went spiraling. Like I was really 
I was diving deep, deep space, uh, thinking about the universe, looking into Hubble's, the Hubble spacecraft. And for me, I was mm -hmm. doing my personal research on that and really feeling how infinitesimal we are, like looking at all the war and all the struggle that's happening on this earth and, and thinking about how short our time is here. And so also tying into my history, my ancestry, and people to look upon this and to think of their own ancestry, because here you see an ancestor rising from the depths. It's, in my mind, literally rising from black matter and creating her own universe. So you see these big tumultuous waves rising from her feet. She's creating this from nothing, from black matter, black energy. And she has one of her hands on top of her forehead um, to shield herself from her own crown and the light that is exuding from it. And it's blasting forward just this supernova um, and this creation. And there's a snake that's winding up her that she's holding with her other hand over her shoulder. And that, again, I'm, I'm just tying in that respect to nature and her bringing this, you know, this very cunning and alluring beast with her into this world. Um, and then behind her, you can see a solar system just, you know, orbed behind her, these different universes. And so to me, that's, it's about the greatness of, of who we are and, and who we can be within our own world, the impacts that we can have and um, creating, creating our own universe as she is here. Yeah, no, more more strong stuff, man. This is good stuff right here. I hope y'all listening. Go, y'all pay attention. Go check this website out. I'm gonna put some of these images on the Studio Noise IG because you gotta see it. Because you know, like, I wish y'all could see her face as she's like talking about it. Because I can, I can see you like going through like every bits of it, and you still got that that strong love and connection with your artwork. That is 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 wonderful to see. I'm telling you, like, it's such a joy immediate artist that is really like uh being personal with her work and like really putting your a lot of reflection into each part of what it is like all the symbols like nothing on the canvas is not thought of or doesn't add to the concept or add to the story and so it's <laughs> i just enjoy just want to say that i enjoy it like i notice like your face changing and you go through the expressions while you're talking but that's connection that's that's love. That's passion right there. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, love that. that yo. Love. That is love. I appreciate that so much <laughs> because honestly, like so much love, so much thought, like you said, goes into it from every aspect. And yeah, it's really is a labor of love. So one thing I always find out is that um, when I do finish work and by the time people actually see it, like I'm on to like the next two or three pieces, like past it. Like I'm always looking past it. Like, are are you like that? Do you have like more stuff in the studio right now that you moved on to? Oh yes, oh yes. Um, you know the the good thing about the series that I just did, Virtue and the Chronicles of the Unicorn, uh, is that I was able to plan four works at once, which is really unbeknownst to me. I usually work one piece and then I'll do research and I'll do another piece, um, and mm. so except for the four queens, because I also did those in tandem. Um, but you're right, like just because my inspiration and reaching back into the historical canon, into the Renaissance, into Art Nouveau, like, you know, I'll work on this piece and I'll be like, oh, now I want to do this. Um, I loved this past design that I did. So I'll reach back now into um, past works that I've done and, and what really works for me. But then I also am still challenging myself as an artist and, and as to being fairly new artist with these tools, like three years in. And so I'm constantly challenging myself to up the level of detail or, um, you know, the amount of floral and fauna that I put within a work. So it's really interesting for me to even look back at the beginnings of my work into the complexity and detail that they are now. So mm -hmm. the gears are always turning. 
But when I am working on one project, I really try and sit with that. And I think that comes also from my theater days as well. It's like, I really want to relish in that character and what that character is trying to say and that storyline and that narrative before moving on to the next, because I want to give it my 100. You know, I want to give it my full. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so do you, do you see virtue, the character as yourself or is it somebody else in your life? I mean, she definitely is a piece of me. She definitely is a piece of me, but to me, you know, it's a call out. It's a call out to the sisterhood. It is. It's really, I want the viewer, especially black women, young black girls who are looking at this work to, to see a piece of them in it as well. And so that's why I do keep the figure relatively ambiguous, like not specific to me or to anyone because I want it. I want her to be neutral in that way. Mm-hmm. More, more black women artists speaking about black womanhood and femininity. I love it. My daughter loves it. I always try to, I try to, you know, she's a, she's in the theater now too. And oh. So she's like, just, yeah, she was just in a, in a play. And so it's funny to be able to see her kind of start to embrace it too, where it's like, you know, uh, this is way off topic, but you know, she's my little girl, but now yeah. she's like on the stage, like acting like a ancestor in the Adams family. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> so she's, you know, so she's changed and grown and got different. It's not off topic though, because I will say that my experience in the theater and I'm sure for your daughter as well, like it really helps you in life. It helps you. It, it's just, um, even in situations like this in interviews and, uh, in the confidence of my own creativity and being able to explore other worlds and, and be creative, like theater really grounded me in that and taught me so many different skills that I will use forever. Yeah. So good to talk to you. <laughs> I'm so happy you I got do. to meet you and talk to you. And, and I'm so, so glad for like you getting this opportunity to do these solo shows. And I, uh, you know, just looking from the work myself, I, I can see, uh, we might have to bring you back on the podcast and talk more about it than on your next solo show uh, somewhere, <laughs> whenever you do oh, it. And so I'd tell people happy. how they can get in. Yeah. Tell people how they can get in t contact with you, where to find you, where to check out your work, all the good stuff. Absolutely. So my website, Simone Elizabeth Saunders.com. I'm on Instagram, Simone Elizabeth Textiles.com, uh, Simone Elizabeth Textiles, period. Um, and I'm always checking my DMs. So you can definitely message me on there. And via my gallerist, Claire Oliver Gallery, she's also on Instagram and has a website and uh, has, you know, her featured artists that are coming up at the forefront of her website. So you'll be seeing me full frontal there in, uh, in no time, in just, you know, a week to go. So Sam, is, this, is this your first gallery experience? Like in terms of like being managed by a gallery or have you had one before? Oh, no, this is my first time. This is my first experience. And it's been wonderful, you know, just to to have that relationship, to have someone who really has your back and is vying for these institutions, these museums to to have your work. Um, it's been an incredible experience. So I can't wait. It, I mean, the relationship will just get stronger and stronger. All right. Did you knit yourself a dress to, to, to go to the big opening or you? Oh, yeah. How you doing it? You reach back, got that Versace on? Like, what you going to do? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I I got my dress. I'm so stoked. I got my dress. My Yeah, my criteria was I need something that has texture or something that's metallic. So I got this really nice metallic dress. But, I mean, the heat would be on too much for me to make my own dress. I'm not a seamstress. <laughs> but it would be cool to find a seamstress that could take my textiles and make me a coat or something. That would be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Next step. That's the next level right there. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yes, we're looking for that picture. I want to see this amazing dress at this amazing show. It's Simone, is Elizabeth Saunders, right here on the podcast. Thank you for coming up. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the Bag. 
Big shout out to Simone Elizabeth Saunders for coming on the podcast, sharing her textile experience. We love it. Love learning new things. More interviews next week on The Noise. Don't know who it's going to be yet, but it's coming. <laughs> Just trust me. And all the artists out there, amateurs can do it one time. That one little painting that you thought was nice, that's cool. Professionals, do it again, baby. You got to do it again. Always consistency, excellence, the only way to do it. And so that's what we're trying to get to. Keep making that noise everywhere you go. It's your boy, Jay Barbara. I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.